Hi, everybody. I think most of you know me already, but I'm Brandon Davis. I'm 31 years old. I was born and raised in Iowa. My wife, Caitlin's here with me. We have our son, Griffin, who's almost three downstairs, and our dog, Calvin. <laughs> He's not here. <laughs> Thank you for the opportunity to preach this morning. This is my first time preaching at church, so I'm definitely nervous, and I had to follow Nick, which that's not fair. Um, but I feel very strongly that I'm called to speak to you today, so thank you for coming to listen. Today's topic is on suffering. It's a heavy topic, but it affects all of us. Despite the heaviness of today's topic, I hope the sermon leaves you with hope and peace from Jesus. Today, we're going to be in the book of Mark. The ESV Study Bible tells us that the ultimate theme and purpose of Mark's gospel is to present and defend Jesus' universal call to discipleship. Mark's gospel narrates the identity and teaching of Jesus. To Mark, discipleship is essentially a relationship with Jesus, not merely following a certain code of conduct. Fellowship with Jesus marks the heart of the disciple's life, and this fellowship includes trusting him, confessing him, taking note of his conduct, following his teaching, and being shaped by relationship with him. One of Mark's major themes is that Jesus calls his followers to imitate him in humble service, self-denial, and suffering. Have you ever been to a really cold Iowa football game? I'm talking last game of the season in November, feet of snow on the bleachers, blustering winds, and not enough hand warmers. We might be willing to attend a game like that if our team is really good that year, and we expect to win. But if we're bad, we expect to lose, the temperatures are negative 20, we're probably not gonna go and suffer through that game. And if we did, we would probably be complaining about how our hands went numb, how bad the team is, and how unfit our offensive coordinator might be. <laughs> this example shows that we are willing to suffer if we're confident that the outcome will be worth it but we suffer poorly when we don't trust the plan. Not all suffering we go through is a choice, but because of the gospel, we can suffer well. The big idea of my sermon today is suffering well. And the title is, because Jesus trusted God's plan in his suffering, we can trust God's plan in ours. Today we're going to be in Mark 14, 32 to 42 when Jesus prays in the garden right before he is crucified. You can follow along with me on the screen or there's Bibles underneath your chairs. If you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take that with you as a gift from Harvest City. So again, Mark 14, 32 to 42. And they went to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? 
Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Will you pray with me? Father God, I pray that I would speak truth this morning, that you would speak through me, that we would have ears to hear, soft hearts, and that we would imitate Jesus' example when we are faced with suffering, that we would suffer well without complaining, that we would rely on your strength to get through the sufferings in our lives, and that we would cling to you because you're here for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Lesson number one today is that Jesus suffered more than we ever will. Let's look at the first half of today's passage again to start seeing the magnitude of Christ's suffering. In Mark 14, 32 through 36, the first half of our passage, in verse 33, it says, Jesus was greatly distressed and troubled. Verse 34 says that his soul was very sorrowful even to death. And verses 35 and 36 say that he asked for the hour to pass and to remove the cup. All of these verses show that Jesus was suffering as he approached his crucifixion and his death. But let's dig deeper into what this means. The verse that probably prompts the most questions is, what does he mean by the cup? The cup is the cup of God's wrath mentioned in the Old Testament. It represented the whole of God's wrath poured out on evil. Isaiah 51, 17 says, Wake yourself, wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs of the bowl the cup of staggering. The cup was divine justice poured out on injustice. Ultimately, and most importantly, the cup meant separation from God the Father. Ask yourselves, is it harder to part ways with someone that you've known for a short while or someone that you've known for a long time, maybe even your whole life? Jesus had been in perfect relationship with the Father and Spirit for all of eternity, and here in the garden, for the first time ever, he was faced with the reality of being separated from them. Jonathan Edwards, an American preacher and theologian from the 1700s, put it this way. He had then a near view of that furnace of wrath into which he was to be cast. He was brought to the mouth of the furnace that he might look into it and stand and view its raging flames and see the glowings of its heat that he might know where he was going and what he was about to suffer. This was the thing that filled his soul with sorrow and darkness. This terrible sight, as it were, overwhelmed him. Jesus absolutely could have walked away from the cross and his suffering. He could have said, these people are not worth it, and left us with no way to be free of sin or to reconcile our si ourselves with a righteous God and without hope in death. He could have said, I know we plan to save them, but these people are the worst. 
So I'm not going to destroy them, but I'm not going to save them either. But Jesus' time with us on earth wasn't a test. If his time with us was a test, we would have failed miserably. But Jesus did not come to test us. Because he knew we were not worthy of his love, but he loves us anyway. The musician Judah says it perfectly in his song, Just Because. He just loves us because he loves us because he loves us just because he does. Tim Keller emphasized that Christ's suffering was magnified by the injustice of his death. Mike already stole my verse from me early, but Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means that we are all deserving of the wrath that Jesus faced, but he was innocent and had never sinned. He did not deserve God's wrath. The ESV Study Bible explains that crucifixion was the ultimate indignity. The excruciating physical pain was magnified by the degradation and humiliation. Up to this point, God had historically said things like, Obey me, and I will be with you. For example, in the Garden of Eden, God said to Adam, Obey me about this tree, don't eat its fruit, and I will be with you. But for Jesus, it was the opposite. He said, Obey me about this tree, the cross, and I will crush you. And Jesus still did it willingly. Lastly, Jesus' impending suffering on the cross was coming from a betrayal from someone close to him. Being betrayed by Judas, one of his original disciples whom Jesus loved, had to hurt far more than if he had simply been arrested by the Pharisees and Jewish leaders. Jesus was about to take on the punishment that we all deserve in our place. Not just the penalty for the sins of his friends and followers, but for all people. Even though we have very real suffering in our lives, Jesus suffered far more than we ever will. For us. Not only did Jesus suffer more than we ever will, he did it perfectly. He set an example for us to suffer well. Which brings us to lesson two. Lesson two is suffering well is hard. Let's look at the second half of our text today, verses 37 to 42. In these verses, the disciples, Peter, James, and John, tried to suffer well alongside Jesus, but failed, even though they knew he was about to be betrayed. In verse 37, Jesus asks, could you not watch one hour? And in verse 38, Jesus sympathizes with them when he says, The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing is not a reference to the Holy Spirit, but to the disciples' human spirits, which desired to follow Jesus and be faithful. But they quickly gave in to physical fatigue. The flesh is weak. Well-intentioned believers can easily fail to fulfill their calling by merely giving in to various physical needs or desires. In verses 39 and 41, he finds them sleeping again and again. Peter, James, and John were imperfect sinners like us who show that suffering well is not easy. Even when we have good intentions to love the people around us and be obedient during our suffering, we are unable to do so when the going gets tough if we rely on our own strength. Romans 17, 15 through 20. Paul says, for I do not understand my own actions. 
For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. This points to why Jesus instructed the disciples in verse 38 to pray that they not enter into temptation. They are sinful and prone to sin like Paul. It is very easy to give in to temptation and the desires of our flesh when we are suffering. Suffering can be exhausting. One of the ways this plays out is when we allow ourselves to believe the lie that because we're going through a difficult season, we don't have the capacity to love others. We turn down opportunities to serve or care for our neighbors and choose to stay home and take care of me first. There are times that we can be stretched very thin, but God can always use us and work through us if we let him, regardless of our perceived capacity. As hard as it is to suffer well, Jesus did it while su suffering far worse than we ever will have to. Let's not only look at what he didn't said, let's look at what Jesus did not say in the garden. Jesus did not say, why should I die for these people who can't even stay awake for me? He did not say, this is so unfair, I deserve better than this, even though he did. And he did not say, this will be easy. He was authentic in how horrific and difficult the crucifixion was going to be. And he did not say, what about my rights? And lastly, he did not end his prayer with, remove this cup from me. Jesus walked the walk from his earlier teaching. He had taught the disciples in the Lord's Prayer to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And here he prays those same words when it is hardest, your will be done. Let's contrast what we do when suffering and faced with difficult circumstances to how Jesus suffered. The most obvious display of suffering well in our passage comes in verse 36, yet not what I will, but what you will. Do we trust God's plan when things get hard, or do we stop our prayers at God, please change my circumstances? I'm very guilty of this. When I wrote this sermon, my family was suffering. In November, we had a miscarriage and lost our son, Eli. We loved him before we knew him, and the shock, of grief, shock and grief of losing him was horrible. We continue to grieve for Eli because our love for him perseveres. Shortly after, we found out that Caitlin had cancer. We've got a picture up here. This is Caitlin's second day of chemo um, in the cancer clinic where she works. She went through 40 chemo infusions over four months, and during that process, we had no idea how long it was going to last. It was one of the hardest things I've ever gone through to see her dealing with all the side effects, like fatigue, mouth sore so bad she couldn't eat, and it was hard to talk, 
aching pains, and the fear of missing out on being a mom while she was going through all that. I felt totally helpless, and we needed God in a whole new way. During that time, I prayed mostly for Caitlin's healing, and it was good for me to pray for that, but I was convicted that I needed to trust God in his timing because he has a good plan for us, and he was teaching him to trust him through it. I needed to pray for more than just heal Caitlin, period. I needed to pray for his will to be done. Some days we were good at this, and it was easier to, tr to trust God, but it was a long fight for us, so we had days where we felt powerless and struggled to believe that God's plan was good. Some days we looked at the people around us, and we were jealous that they didn't have to deal with cancer, and they had all the blessings that we wanted. Even on those days, I needed to pray, God, please heal Caitlin, yet not what I will, but what you will. I wish Gr Griffin had his sibling here on earth, but I know God's plan is good. As much as I would love to have Eli here, I know it is better for him to be with Jesus where he will never experience the suffering of this world. The next example of how Jesus suffered well is in verse 39. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. Saying the same words does not mean repeating empty phrases, which Jesus had taught against. It was the earnest repetition expressing the deep longing of his heart. When we suffer, do we pray consistently, earnestly expressing our hearts to God? Or do we offer up quick, shallow prayers that God would fix our circumstances and then go right back to worrying about the things that we're supposed to be trusting him with, a God who loves us? I know that when I pray and my circumstances don't change quickly, I can feel like he doesn't care. And sometimes that causes me to pray less. But God does care. He cared enough to send his son to suffer alongside us and for us. One of the best passages showing how Jesus suffered well is Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Are we humble and obedient when we face our suffering? Or are we prideful, bitter, and reluctant to follow Jesus? I know for me, as a prideful man, the idea of humbling myself is not a fun one. When things don't go my way, I often feel like my plans and hopes have been taken from me. It was brutally humbling to realize how little control we have in our lives when we lost Eli. I've not suffered well throughout this whole season, but by God's grace, he has humbled me and given me peace. If you answered those questions like I did, you might be a little discouraged at how poorly we handle our suffering. But don't worry, answers for how we can suffer well are coming in lesson three. Lesson three is because Jesus suffered well for us, we can suffer well through him. 
Learning how to suffer well is something all of us need to know because we will all experience suffering. We live in a sinful world full of sinful people and we are actually promised we will have suffering. Jesus promised us we will have suffering in this life. It is guaranteed. Even if God's plan for our lives doesn't involve the kinds of suffering that others experience, we all have or will lose loved ones to death because of sin. We grieve the loss of them, even if we know they have found forgiveness in Jesus and will have everlasting life with God because we miss them. And what is grief if not love persevering? The first time I really saw suffering well in my life changed me forever. If I've shared my testimony with you, then you will know the story, but I want to share it with all of you. I'd like to introduce you to my friend, Jason Larson. This is a picture of me, Jason in the middle, and our friend Javier at field day, I think in fifth grade or so. When I was four years old, I made one of my first lifelong friends named Jason. We were on the same soccer team, we were neighbors, we went on to be in many of the same classes on baseball and basketball teams together. Jason was the first friend who ever called my house to ask if I could play. He invited me to FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, at school where I started to see that he really believed what he was hearing at church. And when we were in middle school, Jason was diagnosed with cancer. I didn't understand how serious it was at the time, but he battled it for years. He had good months and bad months, but in January of 2008, his health started to seriously decline. Jason had told me things that made no sense to me at the time as he struggled through his battle with cancer. He said things like, I just pray God uses my life to share his love, win or lose this fight. He suffered so well by clinging to Jesus, praying faithfully, and trusting God with his life. On January 18th, I heard he was really struggling at the hospital. So inspired by his faith, I organized a prayer after a high school basketball game on the court. As soon as the buzzer sounded, both teams, both schools, home and away, parents and families and officials came and knelt on the court, and we prayed for God to save Jason. He texted me on the 19th and thanked me for organizing the prayer and said that he would call me the next day. On the 20th, Jason passed away, and I never got that call or the chance to say goodbye to my friend. I did not suffer well back then. I carried my 16-year-old friend's casket through the snow, feeling very angry with God. But Jason understood the gospel a lot sooner than I did, and the trust in God that he displayed in his life is what drove me to dive into the Bible on my own and find Jesus, even if I didn't really start walking with him until later. The verses I found back then that helped me find peace and hope amidst my sufferings are Romans 5, Romans 5, 3 through 8. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, 
though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jason was an imperfect sinner like all of us, but the Spirit of God certainly helped him to suffer well during his time here. To start learning how to suffer well, we have to ask ourselves, where do we go when we suffer? Do we watch TV all day and try not to think about it, ignore our circumstances? Do we call our friends and family and complain about how unfair life is? Do we drink or try to find escape in other unhealthy ways? Why don't we go to God and trust his plan? There are plenty of reasons, but here are three of my top reasons why I think we don't go to God and trust his plan. Reason number one is we forget that our suffering, our sufferings are temporary versus the promise of eternal life with Christ. We are impatient people, always wanting instant gratification and answers. Romans 8, 18, Paul says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I encourage you to read the rest of Romans 8, which describes our hope in the midst of our sufferings and encourages us to wait with patience. Reason number two why I think we don't go to God and trust his plan in our sufferings is we believe we can just push through our sufferings by sheer willpower. Even if we can get through these times, we won't be able to do it humbly and obediently without God's grace in our lives. And reason number three is we forget that God's plan for us is good or we fail to believe that it is good because we can't see his purpose. Romans 8.28, Paul says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. I think this verse gets taken out of context frequently to try to say that God wants us to be happy all the time the good that Paul is describing here is not earthly comfort or happiness, but closer fellowship with God, bearing fruit for the kingdom and final glorification, which are far better. So how can we suffer well? By the power of the gospel, it is only because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, which completely change our lives, that we are able to suffer well. We were sinners, spiritually dead, but now in Christ, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and it is only by the empowering grace of the Holy Spirit that we are able to say, along with Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. We can suffer well by following Jesus' example, by submitting to God in prayer and trusting that his plan is good. This doesn't mean we just try harder to grin and bear, grin and bear it to suffer well. It really requires submitting to him and looking to Jesus in our sufferings to see how we can truly say, not my will, but yours be done, and mean it by his spirit. We have to constantly remind ourselves that Jesus knew the full cost of obeying his father's will when he suffered, and he did it willingly for us. God is not apathetic to our sufferings. If he was, he would not have sent his son to go through the suffering of the cross, and Jesus would not have allowed his death to happen. We need to accept the freedom of trusting God with our lives. 
I do not believe the phrase, God only gives us what we can handle. There are some burdens that are too heavy for us to carry. I was not strong enough to suffer well alongside Caitlin as she battled cancer in my own strength. We have to lay those burdens down at the cross. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And my final encouragement comes from John 16, 33. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you for this opportunity to preach. Thank you for this church that I love. Pray that we would be moved today to see your example of suffering well, to remember how Jesus suffered and cling to you in our sufferings, God. I pray that our example would impact the people around us and that ultimately we would be great image bearers of you, God, and point people to Jesus who can give hope and peace and endurance during sufferings. We thank you that you suffered for us and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.